Well, good morning. My name is Mike. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Uh, one of the things that I've learned or have been learning, a couple of things I've been learning recently, that a qualification of an elder is one, the willingness, and two, the ability to teach. So I'm here, check, box one. I have the willingness. We'll see in a little bit if I have the ability. Um, I'm not asking for you a poll or anything like that. So we are continuing our series this morning titled Basic Christianity. We've been in this for a couple of months. We're going to close it out today um, in, in chapter 11. So if you have not picked up a book, we have those books in the back. Um, if you have a friend, if you have a relative, you, have, you haven't got one yet, feel free to grab one. That's our gift to you. A good place to review um, or just dive deeper into today's message. So I was thinking about that um, in one of those songs that said, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. So my story, yeah, and I'm not going to give you a lot of it, but I was thinking about as we sang that in probably 20 years ago, I mean, this is quite a journey to this point here, but probably 20 years ago, I sat out in the parking lot to the south of the building outside of 306 there, and I sat in my car as a believer, but maybe not necessarily uh, what we would define or um, describe as a practicing Christian, okay? But I sat out there, and, I, and I'm waiting for the doors to be unlocked. I'm waiting to come in and play basketball. Not a part of this church, and a thought crossed my mind, and it was, I bet you there's some pretty girls that go in that building. And that's funny because I've been married to one of those pretty girls that was going to this building now for 15, going on 16 years. And so our story, our journey, it's, that's, that's just a little bit of, of mine. And so we, let's see if I can, there's, yeah, read chapter 11. All right. So a little review, okay? We've been going through this and we started off and we asked the question, who is this Jesus? And we kind of, we went through these claims that he made, he had some very bold claims about who he was. And then he did some pretty amazing things throughout his life, and it culminated in the end with his death and resurrection, right? So then we move on to the reality of our condition. And we spent some time in there, and it wouldn't, I, I doubt that I could find someone in here or even out of this building that would argue for very long at least with me about the fact that the world is a little bit broken, a little bit askew, a little bit off. And it's not just like it, that it's a new thing, right? It's not something that just came because of the current president or because of the president we had previously or because I live in a blue state or I live in a red state. We can go back in time and, and, and the problem has, had existed and has existed for a long time. Now, in this building, we, we would... Probably most of us agree that that happened at, at something we call the fall. But it's not just the world. It's not just the world that seems askew. We look inward into our own heart and we know, and we call it in this building, what? Sin has set us apart, has, has caused this chasm, this great canyon, this great division, this separation from our God. And it's, it's seemingly insurmountable, irrevocable, this consequence of our sin. 
But the good news is, is that there was this Jesus. And he came, and he lived, and he died, and he, he, was, and, and he was raised again. And because of that, we can start to reconcile this chasm, reconcile this division, this separation from our God. And we here, we're a Bible-preaching church, right? We're Bering Central Bible Church. And so if we go back to that and we think about this, we say we are a church that preaches and teaches salvation by works, right? Okay, you're here. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We don't. It's a salvation by faith, through grace, through Jesus, right? But I'm going to argue that maybe there is something that we have to do, and we kind of covered that. Maybe it's not a work, but there's a couple things that we have to do. And that's where we touched on squirrel theology last two weeks ago. Pastor Mark talked about squirrel theology and the fact that we have to count the cost of following this Jesus. This is a responsibility of us. Are we willing to take up our cross and follow him? And finally, with Pastor Brad, who through the conversion of Saul, the, the illustration he gave last week, we have to come to a decision. We have to reach a decision. And no matter what, if you, either side of this decision that you're on, it is a decision. We can leave Jesus knocking at the door. We can accept this gift. We can accept this salvation. But it's a decision we have to make. And so that brings us to today. What does it mean to be, be a Christian? And I don't necessarily mean what it takes to become a Christian. I just kind of went through that a little bit, and we've been going through that for a little while. But what does it mean to be, be, live as a Christian? And so as I was preparing and as I was thinking through this, how many, how many Bible, we have Bible quizzers or former Bible quizzers in this room? Raise your hand. Higher, be proud. Okay, you guys are exempt. You cannot answer this question. <laughs> Unless nobody else can answer it, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so is the term Christian found in the Bible? Yes? No? Maybe? Is it? Okay. Where is it found? Okay, Book of Acts. There you go. All right. Uh, let's get a little harder. Where, where in the world, what city, what region was it first? Oh, you're so good. No more. You can't answer anymore. <laughs> All right, I wish I had, I feel like I need a candy bar to like throw out or something for that, but no, for real. So we go to that, so we go to Acts 11, verse 26, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called what? Christians. Well, I believe, I believe that if we are trying to answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian, maybe we start with where it's first used, and we go back to that church in Antioch, and we figure out what were they doing that brought that name upon them? Where did that come from? All right. Let's see. But before we go, though, let's, let's, let's go a little context there. How did that church come to be? So we got this guy named Saul, remember? <clears throat> we talked about him last week. Saul, Paul, our friend. And we go back a little further even, and we've got this guy named Stephen. 
You remember Stephen? Not Stephen in the back that's at the board today, but it's Stephen, very important, Stephen with a PH, okay? Stephen with a PH. That's important. And so Stephen, he's, he's doing these, he's got this job with the church, right? And he's, he's, he's out doing these things that he's been called to do, and he kind of made some people a little bit upset. He kind of got under their skin a little bit. And so they call him before this council, and they bring these witnesses forth, witnesses. And they accuse him of some pretty serious things. But very eloquently, he defends his faith. He defends his testimony. And he, he goes through this whole thing. And did it help him? <laughs> Not in the moment, no. Not necessarily. But that brings us, that brings us and we're going to be in eight, chapter 8 and chapter 11 today. I'm going to bounce around because that's what I do. So just try to keep up. I can barely do it myself. But... So that brings us to chapter 7, actually, verse 57, 58. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, so that's what happened. But I want to focus in on the last four words there, young man named Saul. So why is that relevant? Well, let's, hopefully I can get us there. So young man, what does young man mean? Young man in that definition, in that day and age, would not be a young boy. Ryan, what age? 13, 13 okay. It would not be an old man, but a young man. So by definition in that day, it would be someone that was eligible for military service. Still a pretty wide range there, okay? But we're going to narrow it down a little bit and just say young. So if he's young, he's, he's grown up. We know about Saul that he was taught the truths of the Jewish faith. He was taught the laws, the customs. He was also highly educated, so he could read, he could write. He probably had some math in there somewhere. So he had this knowledge, right? As a young man, he had knowledge. Knowledge not yet converted to wisdom, but he had this pile of knowledge. Now couple that with he was a young man, young man eligible for military service. What do people in the military have? What's something that they've got? They've got energy, right? They've got drive. They're ready to go. They're ready to go out and fight. And so he, you take this knowledge, you take this energy that he had, and now throw in this experience that he just witnessed. And I don't know about you, but if I witnessed somebody getting rocks thrown at them until they were dead, that would probably change the direction of my life one way or another. So you pile all those things together, and what does Saul do? He's off on his new mission for his church, for his God, for his religion. And he's, he's not slowing down. So that brings us to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then we're going to jump a little forward Turn quick, Acts 11, verse 19. So meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. Where's, what's that word? Antioch. There's where it comes back. Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God 
but only to the Jews. So at that time, still preaching only to the Jews. But then a change occurs. Jump ahead, verse 20, chapter 11. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Er, Something changed there. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So remember, back in Jerusalem, everyone's been dispersed except for who the the apostles. All the other disciples, the believers, had been dispersed. So the church in Jerusalem hears about that. They catch wind of it. They say, hey, there's a movement happening at this church up in Antioch. And they want to know what's going on. And so they send this guy named Barnabas. And in verse 23... Chapter 11, Barnabas comes on scene. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. This is our first clue, I think, what it means to be a Christian, to live as a Christian. He encouraged them to what? Stay true to the Lord, looking upward. We have a responsibility to our God. Barnabas encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. As Christians, new or old, our relationship with God is not static. And it's a constant journey, it's a constant learning to embrace the knowledge that God is God. And that anchors us. So how do we do that? How do we do that? So I, I'm going to pick on Ty and Tina over here, Renenberg. When they first met, how did they get to know one another? I promised Tina I wouldn't call her up here. She was relieved. How, how did they get to know one another? It probably started with a conversation. It started with an introduction. But it didn't stop there. If Pastor Bill and his wife didn't ever have a conversation, would that relationship continue to grow? If Wendy and Billy in the back there, wake up, Billy. (laughs) I know he is. If they didn't study one another, study the likes, the dislikes, how they need to be loved, like that just, the relationship would be static. And I'm calling people out, and that could be dangerous, but whatever, I'm up here, I get to do it. (laughs) And so how do we do that as Christians? Okay, it starts with prayer. It's a conversation with God, right? These are obvious things. But it needs to be said. It starts with being in the scriptures and reading your Bible. And at times it's it's with fellowship with other believers. So moving, moving forward, looking inward. Verse 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And this is just a little side note. I don't know. I get distracted from time to time. And it's just interesting to me that, like, I, I wonder, as Barnabas went to, went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and they're headed back, it's, it's probably a little bit of a journey, and there's some conversation going on along the way. And I just wonder if Saul recognized the fact that this circle of life that he was participating in, 
this fact that he was a, a great participant in the dispersal, dispersal of these believers that had settled in Antioch, set, founded this church, and now he's going back to be with them, to teach and encourage them. Side note. So when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. The people at Antioch met. They gathered. It says that Paul, Saul, and Barnabas taught large groups of people. I'm sure they taught small groups of people. I'm sure there was plenty of dinners and homes and conversations on the street, but they met. We meet. Churches continue to meet today. So we have a responsibility as a church to one another, as a believers, as Christians to one another. Our responsibility to the church. And, and although we, I do believe we have a responsibility to be part of a local church, it goes beyond that, which leads us to number three. Looking outward, verses 27 through 29. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving how much? As much as they could. I remember a conversation I had a few years ago sitting at a lunch table um, at work, previous employer, quite a few years ago. And I was sitting there, and what's interesting is the, the person I was sitting there with, his name was Stephen. And I really hadn't thought about Stephen until I started preparing for this message. And Stephen, he spelled his name with a PH, like our friend Stephen here, like our friend Stephen that we just talked about. And our friend, my friend Stephen, co-worker Stephen that I was speaking with, okay, I have a story about Stephen, and it's a little bit, it's going to digress a little bit, but I promise I'll come back, okay? So Stephen, Stephen, um, one day, he, he was telling me one day he went to go get a cup of coffee, and he went to a coffee shop, I'm sure it was not from our friends at Revive, because one, Revive was not there yet, and their customer service is much better than this. But he went to go get a cup of coffee, and you know, a lot of times when you go up there, you walk up to the counter, you order what you want, and they say, hey, can I put a name with this? And he says, yeah, my name's Stephen with a PH. So he sits there and he waits for his coffee. They call his name out, Stephen, he goes up to get it, and on the side of his coffee, the receipt or wherever it was written on there, he reads it, and it says, Stephen, P-H-T-E-V-E-N, Stephen. <laughs> so that's... I, was, I, I don't know if he made that up, but like that's, he told it to me. So anyway, totally irrelevant to what we're talking about today. So I'm sitting there with Stephen, right, at the lunch table, and we're talking, and Stephen is by, by definition, he is a non-believer. He is skeptic. He is a skeptic of the claims of Christ. He is a skeptic of those that believe those claims. Yet he was open that the conversation started to move towards faith, to move towards this person of Jesus, to move towards what this salvation thing is. And so he asked me, he says, why do you believe in this Jesus? And I said, all right, here we go. I'm ready. 
I'm ready. So I gave him my answer. I said, you know, what, Stephen, it's, it's really cool because, because I know Jesus, I get to be with him someday. I get to live in heaven in, for eternity with him. And that's a good thing, right? I think it is, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a good thing. And he sat there, and it didn't take him long for his response, and his response was, well, wow, that seems selfish. And I didn't have an answer. And honestly, hadn't thought about that to this day, but the reality is, is I, I wanted to come in this morning, and I thought about it. I was going to put it up on the screen here. I was going to put it in big block letters, just big block letters. Salvation is selfish. Because I wanted to see how many people would run out. You know, <laughs> go, who is this Yahoo? So I, digress, I digressed. I refrained. And I rephrased it a little bit to, is your salvation selfish? Is my salvation selfish? The reality is in that moment, I was trying to evangelize. I was trying to share the good news of Jesus. But it's sort of a trap that we can fall into. And so if we don't have this outward focus, have this responsibility to the world around us, it might be a little selfish. So... The Christians at Antioch, right? The Christians at Antioch were not so focused inwardly that they were not aware and sensitive to the needs around them. And what I love so much about this is everyone helped as much as he could. So I'm going to close down, close down this series. Each one of these things that we've reviewed today, upward, inward, outward, are important parts that paint a picture of what it means to be a Christian. But each and every one of those can be a stumbling block as well, if we're not careful. If we, if we devote the entirety of our existence to the study of God, yet fail to develop a relationship with Him, we merely live out our lives as great students. If we look inward to our safety zones and build high walls around our churches and schools, we fail to be a light in a dark world. And if we're not careful and we strive to be accepted by the world around us, we run the risk of being devoured. So why did we choose to go through this series? Why, why as a church did we go through this series? Maybe, maybe the end user Maybe the end benefactor, although I hope you gained something from it, but maybe the end benefactor was not someone sitting in one of these chairs. Maybe it's one of our neighbors, one of our co-workers at a lunch table, one of our family members, one of those many non or yet to believe or yet to hear about Jesus people that we interact with on a daily basis in our lives. So maybe this is a tool Maybe this series was a tool that we can place within our, within our toolbox or, and use it as we move forward. The reality being, 
that in addition to the responsibilities that I've listed above today, we have a responsibility to the next generation of believers. Thank you. And this is the fun part. We get to do something fun now. So, anybody ever hear of Freeze Out? Anybody? Anybody ever go to Freeze Out? A couple people. Allison Sherwood must not be here. She'd be screaming. <laughs> okay. This, this winter, um, our youth leaders here at the church took a group of Amplified students to this retreat called Freeze Out. And while at Freeze Out, while at this weekend retreat, eight of those young people accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that's really cool. And so I had, I've had a chance over the last couple months to speak with each and every one of them personally. But I thought, when I got done, I thought, and I'm preparing for this, I'm like, well, that's selfish. I don't want to keep that for myself. I want to be able to share that with everyone here. And so I've invited each and every eight of those individuals to come here today. They're not all here. Some of them are not part of the church here, and that's okay. But some of them came here today. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite them to come up, okay? They're going to come up here. I promise they didn't have to speak. I promise they didn't have to say anything. But I also want to invite two other groups of people. Maybe you have heard something over this series, over the last year, that has convinced you that you are one of these that has accepted Jesus, that has turned his or her life over. I want to invite you to come up with them. And then the third group is this family here. I want, as they come up, I'd like to see people come up and lay hands and pray, encourage them, get to know them, ask them questions, because we have a responsibility to the next generation of believers. So can I have my students come up that are here? And if, if you are one of those people that has accepted Jesus today or in, it would consider themselves a new believer, I'm calling you out, Jacob, just so you know, but you can stay there if you want. Yeah, you guys spread out. Here, come down here. There you go. You stay there. You go there. All right. Now, who's going to pray for these people? Who's going to come up? I need some men to come up and pray for these young men. I need some women to come up and pray for these young ladies. We're just going to pray. We're going to encourage. And you're going to dismiss yourselves today, okay? You can pray in your seat. If we fill this, that's great too. We're not looking for a picture, so get in front of them too. I don't care. Thank you.